ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 10 of the Average to Elite Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and today we'll be doing the High Performance Troubleshoot. So this is essentially going over some key areas where I really feel that athletes struggle with and don't implement properly, and it's really holding them back from reaching their true and highest potential uh, and really excelling in this sport. So not only from a body composition perspective, so fat loss and muscle growth, but their fueling strategies, their recovery strategies, their adaptation, their immune function, all this kind of stuff. Um, these like five issues that I've um, really sort of encountered pretty much on a daily basis. Um, if we get these right, yeah, we're really going to take your performance uh, to the next level. And this is pretty much the same across the board. It doesn't really matter too much what sport you're in and it doesn't really matter what level you're at. I see this again time and time again. So issue number one is food quality. So this props isn't too much of a surprise. And you know that I very much advocate balance, perhaps this 80-20 rule that gets spoken about quite a lot. Um, I very much advocate that because I don't need to be going 100% um, adherence with your food, these high quality food choices, 100% of the time, because you're probably just going to burn out and essentially that's going to lead to an unplanned eating episode, uh, i.e. a binge, and then you lose loads of momentum, feel guilty, feel shit about yourself, and then you have to rebuild that back up. So it's always best to be a little bit more proactive, have some flexibility in there, because one, you can enjoy your food as, uh, a lot better as well, because the social elements evolved with it, and essentially you were thinking of long-term progress, which is uh, can be absolutely huge. But w- we kind of know this. But one thing I've been seeing uh, really, uh, really quite a lot is perhaps uh, a lot of athletes just living the uh, Rice Krispie Square life. So it's interesting, like before athletes say join my athlete coaching program, I asked them to do a food diary. And on that food diary, I just get them to write down everything they eat and drink over the course of a three-day period. Um, full transparency, full honesty. Um, uh, just gives them a really good indication of what's working, what's not, uh, and their general eating habits and behaviors. And I just see there's such a, a high amount of Rice Krispie squares, bagels, uh, sorry, malt loaf, uh, rice pudding, all this kind of stuff and is pretty much making up the bulk of their carbohydrate intake. So they very much grasped calorie macronutrient goals, carbohydrates, drive exercise performance, which is outstanding. I think we finally turned the corner here as like an athletic population, which is fantastic because uh, carbs are great. Um, but it's just where these carbohydrates are coming from. So I guess like you guys would have seen myself um, on like Instagram stories and stuff, putting like bagels, rice crispy squares, mollof, all that kind of great stuff. Um, but perhaps didn't say half the picture, you know. Um, you know, food quality is still absolute must. I would consider these foods as a sports food or even go as far as saying a supplement. They're there to supplement your diet to hit and achieve a higher carb intake because sometimes healthy is not always optimal. If you're pushing six, seven, eight hundred grams of carbohydrates a day, like if your training demand's really high, you can't be eating, you know, rice, pasta, and potato all day long. You physically will not be able to stomach it. Um, and therefore, 
you'll not hit your carbohydrate quota for the day and that's going to affect your fueling uh, your performance your immune, immune function all that kind of stuff so sometimes we have to go for these um, more easily digestible foods uh, they're a little bit more palatable and therefore we can hit these higher carbohydrate intakes so this is very much dictated uh, by your appetite so if you can get what your total daily carb quota in via you know quote unquote healthy foods uh, or carb sources again like looking at like the potatoes the fruit the oats all that kind of stuff then absolutely awesome just run with that but if you're really struggling to hit you know these high carb intakes and you can only perhaps get 300 grams of carbs before feeling re- before feeling really full heavy bloated sluggish and stuff this is when you sort of introduce these sports foods as a supplement to put on top so this is very much dictated again by your appetite and then also the proximity to your session so if you have to hit a high carbohydrate intake over the course of the day and you're training maybe two to three times a day you know your the duration between your session isn't going to be huge and therefore yes your appetite might be quite poor after session and that affects your um, desire to eat like these good quality carbohydrate sources so then we have to put in these sports foods likewise if you still need to catch up with your carbohydrate intake and you have to eat a little bit closer to that next session you're not going to put in like half a kilo of sweet potato you know you're just gonna be really full heavy bloated because the food volume is high the fiber intake's high so that's when we introduce the sports food bagel or jam honey all that kind of stuff um just as like a carb top up so again just think of food quality yes we're looking to get majority of our food from high quality sources i naturally current minimally processed uh but if we're struggling to hit those higher carb intakes that's when we start introducing these uh sports specific uh foods so that's the way i would typically approach uh that side of um the food quality based on like food diaries and stuff that i've seen what i don't want to see is you hitting five six hundred grams of carbohydrates today and it's pretty much all from Haribo and Rice Krispie Squares. We need some quality in there, uh, 100%. So that would be issue number one. If we get that, we get the balance right, um, then that would be absolutely awesome. Number two is uh, tracking accuracy. So is a lot of under and misreporting. Generally speaking, as human beings, uh, we're very good at, under-reporting what we eat and over-reporting what we burn. Um, so research does back this up quite nicely as well. So from a food perspective, um, it's the whole case of like, oh, I'm eating uh, 2,000 calories a day and I'm not losing weight, but you're actually tanking in 3,500 calories. You're perhaps just not aware of the extra calories you're eating. So that would be kind of you're under-reporting or misreporting, um, So it's very easily done, you know. It's very easy to forget foods and drinks, like snacks that you had then, but you perhaps didn't track. Like, you know, your lattes, your flat whites, your cappuccinos, those 100 calories um, a couple of times a day will certainly add up, whether it's like a biscuit and a cup of tea, a bagel here and there. Like these things that we kind of just forget about, but over time, it'll just add up. And in the course of the day, it might be a case of um, you're eating five, 600 calories more than you thought. And therefore, you, it's taking you out of a deficit back into calorie maintenance. And that's why you're not dropping body fat or improving body composition. 
or could be the other way around. Uh, if you're trying to hit higher calorie intakes, you and you're forgetting to um, track and record these accurately, then are we actually getting enough in? Um, so one of the big things here will really just be your track and accuracy, you know. Um, another kind of area I see with this as well is, um, so first and foremost, like sometimes you do actually just forget uh, they had X, Y, Z food, but the next, the other time or the other part of the equation there is um, sometimes you just lie to yourself to, you know, uh, just to rationalize your own bullshit really. So I see this kind of all the time. So say for example, uh, you have like, a pizza or a Sunday roast or something like that. That's a little bit off menu, which is absolutely cool. And this 80, 20 balance kind of rule we work within. Um, but you've got like say 600 calories left in your MyFitnessPal or in your uh, meal plan or food area, something like that. And you, you deep down inside, you know that this Sunday roast or whatever was 2000 calories, but you try to find the lowest calorie option on MyFitnessPal to plug in there. So it looks better on paper. So the data looks better. And, you know, you almost just rationalize it to yourself. Like, yeah, that, that definitely was 600 calories. But deep down inside, you know it wasn't. You're just bullshitting yourself. Um, so that is actually just really, really important. Um, because if you're not true with your own reporting and tracking, then if you're working with a coach and stuff, then it's very hard for them to see uh, what's going on unless they actually do a little bit more of a deeper dive into food diet to see how accurate your tracking is. But this is something I do see quite a lot is just the accuracy of the reporting here. Like if you are having a Sunday lunch and you're tracking on my fitness pal, don't just put down medium Sunday lunch or something like that, that you found that some person uh, added into my fitness pal as a food, like then you can put into your um, food diary. You know, what, what's gone into it? Like there's so much um so much open to debate there so you know was the portions like what foods do they have um you know how do you look at medium is my medium the same as your medium is your medium the same as their medium you know there's too much um that could go wrong with regards to tracking accuracy here so for example if you're having to send a lunch i'm not saying like weigh out every single item of food how much mashed potato you had that'd be an absolute fucking melt please don't do that but what i'm saying is just trying to identify and put pull these kind of individual ingredients out and put them in separately in my fitness pal and estimate each individual portion size so you got a really good idea of the ballpark figure working in don't just put in you know uh, a Sunday lunch because there's so much uh, open for interpretation there so that's where like a little bit extra focus and intent with the accuracy of uh, reporting is really really important here because again it's very easy to knock yourself out from a deficit into a, a maintenance or maintenance into a big surplus or a small surplus to support muscle growth into a big surplus and that's where you gain a lot of body fat so just a little bit of tightening up here is absolutely massive um, so you may be following like the correct nutrition protocols and the right calories, macronutrients within day periodization, all that kind of cool stuff. But if we're not tracking the foods accurately, all the fancy kind of periodization models is just absolutely worthless. So what I really suggest for you to do is just spend a little bit extra time. You know, it might just be an extra three to five minutes a day just to make sure that everything is locked in with a little bit more accuracy and therefore you know, you can have uh, confidence in your reporting and therefore you can monitor your results far better. And then with that, you're going to get a lot more sort of consistency because again, from like a coach's perspective, if we, if you don't have consistency in your plan, 
then and you're not making progress, the first thing I would say is, right, work on being consistent. So then when you're consistent, we can see what's going on a lot better and therefore we can change the plan of action accordingly. If you're incredibly inconsistent with logging, reporting, all that kind of stuff, it's really hard to know what's going well, what's not going well. Um, the advice is going to be, right, let's just track ac accurately and then we got a, a better indication, a better picture of uh, where we need to go to. So issue number three is uh, not planning your weeks. Um, this is actually a huge one. So a lot of the times you are very reactive to your eating. Um, so there is a need for proactive planning, 100%, especially when you have really high training loads, which have higher and more urgent fueling and recovery demands. Um, and if you are training two to three times a day, then you know, then we need to really look at within day carbohydrate periodization, even look at like, you know, your fiber intake, where we put that in the day surrounding sessions. So you don't go into the sessions feeling really heavy, full, bloated, same with your dietary fat. Are we having right protein sources throughout the day to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, perhaps every four or so hours? What's our hydration like? What's the temperature like? Uh, what is our perhaps sweat rates going to be? You know, all these kind of considerations we need to take into account, again, to really reach your high and truest potential in your sport. We cannot be reactive to this, um, not at all. Like when I look at or building nutrition programs, I all try and get a client, an athlete's plan, uh, also a schedule in front of me so I can see exactly everything they are doing. Then I could plan meals in uh, based on, you know, the training load for the day, training load for the week. So obviously they you will have a periodized training plan so therefore, we need to have a periodized nutrition plan to fuel for that work required and meet the body's demands, essentially. Then we need to look at your training times. Uh, are you training first in the morning, lunch, evening? Are you training two times a day, three times a day? Are your sessions spread out throughout the day? Are they kind of clustered all into a morning? How does that look? How do your sessions, um, sorry, how does your meals and snacks need to fall around those sessions times. And again, looking at that within day carbohydrate periodization to support both mental and physical performance and accelerate uh, recovery and glycogen replenishment after. And then also knowing that um, if you have got maybe three to four hours training session in the morning, um, okay, what's your hydration gonna be like? What's your sweat rate like? How much fluid do I need throughout then? And then what is gonna be potentially the water loss deficit at the end of that session? How much do I need in the following hours to uh, rehydrate accordingly so I don't get this accumulated dehydrated uh, state and therefore it's impacting my next day's sessions? All these little things we need to know um, and therefore we can plan for that accordingly. Like if you don't know these things and you're, you know, you really sort of plan reactively, like you can't take advantage of, of anything. It's just all guesswork and it's really um, lackluster in nature and you're just not really going to get the maximum kind of benefits here. Then we also need to look at your travel and any kind of logistical uh, needs. You know, do you live 10 minutes from the training ground? Do you live 30, 60, 90 minutes? Um, are you, you know, uh, competing away and you have to go away like the day before stay in a hotel if you stay in a hotel what foods they have what does the menu say if the menu isn't in line with what we need with regards to our recommendations what shops are close by um have a look online what foods they sell can you get what we need so we really have to take into this uh take into account this kind of things even the case of like 
if you're working like your nine to five and then you go into the gym at six um, and you've got like an hour commute, it's like, okay, can we perhaps get something in 90 minutes before uh, that's easily digestible, carbohydrate, protein based, going to digest and absorb to a decent extent by the time you get to the gym. Uh, therefore, you're fully fueled and there's nothing really heavy sitting in your stomach. So you can train with a large amount of focus and intent, not feel sick, and you can get through your session really good. And then when you get home through the door, uh, you know, you can crack on and make your meal there. One large thing I do see with a lot of um, endurance athletes on that point is they might go out for, uh, say, cyclists, for example, they might go out for a three, four-hour ride. They'll come back through the door. They may have got their fueling and hydration strategies bang on during the ride, but they get back and there's nothing made and they probably are in about a 1500 calorie deficit energy deficit for that ride and their food focus is really high okay if you had something pre-planned and made you're walking through the door you, you know you horse it down you accelerate recovery and you feel absolutely great you're still on plan if you don't have anything planned and you're in a big energy deficit um and there's perhaps unfavorable foods in the cupboards 9.9 times out of 10, you're going, you're going to hammer in that food to kind of fill up this kind of deficit and decrease that food focus. So then when you get cooking, um, you're in a much better place. Um, but by that time, you've probably gone 3,000 calories overboard. And um, from working with cyclists who, when we do get our programming right and they, they get their meal prepped done, and there's nothing better walking through the door and is a meal made for them that they made themselves, you know, because um, they just overall sort of well-being uh, will significantly improve in the energy levels, the recovery, all that kind of good stuff. And it just comes down to the planning side of things. Then obviously then if you know about the weekly periodization uh, with your training, your travel times, your logistics, all this kind of cool stuff, two really important things I see people forget to do time and time again, actually do a food shop. So you have the foods available and then have time to cook. <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous, but actually doing a food shop and having the food in your cupboards and then setting time aside every single week, whether it's um, you're doing batch cooking, you're doing rollover meals, you're cooking every day, whatever fits your preferences, but you need to factor in time every single day, every other day, week, whatever ends up being, to actually cook these foods. So then you can follow and implement the plan accordingly. Um, it's all great having the knowledge, having the plans, having the understanding. But you know, if you don't have the basic kind of stuff nailed down and you haven't got these foods to cook, then you, you can't do anything. You're just spinning your wheels and you won't make any progress at all. So, and that all comes down to just being really proactive with the planning. Um, like I'm perhaps a little bit too OCD with my planning. I fully admit that with regards to like my Google calendar, I don't like any white space. Everything's locked in. I know when I'm training, my meal preps, my lunch, my snacks, my travel times, my work times, my work blocks, all this kind of stuff. So I'm just super productive in my day. Um, but you can kind of draw lessons from that. You know, where am I training? Uh, what's the travel time? What meals will I need? Um, when am I going to be cooking? All this kind of stuff. If I can't cook, if I'm going past a service station, what do they have? Is it an M&S? Is it um, just like a spa? Is What's there? What can you grab on that way? Um, if you're away for a couple of days and you stay in a hotel, again, what's a hotel menu? Do they have a, if the hotel menu is shit, do they have a fridge? Can you bash cook meals and take with you and store in the fridge? 
if they don't have a fridge, can you get a cool box which will last maybe half a day to a day or something like that? So ultimately, from a planning perspective, there's three key questions you need to ask yourself. Um, so where are you going to be when you eat your food? When are you going to eat your food? And how much food will you be eating? If you can answer those three simple questions on a daily basis, uh, I think you're going to be in an incredibly good place from a planning perspective. So issue number four, uh, you've probably experienced this uh, quite significantly at times, I imagine, um, cutting too aggressively and experiencing very large energy deficits and quite frankly, feeling terrible. So um, I'm just going to run through a scenario that I see all the time. And again, it doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you are amateur, sub-elite, elite, international, I've seen it happen all sort of levels and it still blows my mind that it happens. So essentially this is in relation to um, fat loss. So I just want to drop body fat, but obviously we need to be able to drop body fat while still uh, performing at a decent standard because again, your body composition goals are there to support, so complement, not complicate your performance. Obviously, when you're in the fat loss phase, that is going to take higher priority than uh, performance, but this is just temporary. When we get out of this fat loss phase, obviously we flip it, and then performance is really just number one. That's the primary objective with body composition is our maintenance, the secondary objective. But when you are tracing the primary objective of fat loss, um, there's definitely the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. So the wrong way, which I see all the time, just athletes uh, will just chase these big NG deficits. So they'll cut calories way too hard, way too aggressively, and therefore they will underfuel. So therefore they have low carbohydrate availability. So low amounts of carbohydrates in the diet versus a low amount of carbohydrates in the muscle. Then they train really poor. They train with no intent, focus. They got no spring in the step. They can't concentrate properly. They fade really quickly. They flag, they bonk. It's not a good place to be. And then as a result, they have even greater depletion. Um, you know, almost feels like, you know, you want to be feeling like the Duracell battery, but you're pretty much on 2% charge at the moment. Uh, we all have that sort of annoying uh, sign on your phone when you have like sort of 5% battery, like, oh, why didn't I charge up properly? And therefore I will not be close to running out. Um, and then after that huge level of depletion, you can have a huge amount of food focus. It's really going to be heightened. So food focus, your desire to eat. So this is going to be both hunger from the stomach, your physical hunger, and again, your hedonic drive, your hedonic-based eatings, this is your cravings, this is your desire to eat when there's no actual calorie need there. So they're both going to increase uh, significantly. And then perhaps if you tie it in with not planning and don't have any food, then this is going to lead to an unplanned eating episode. You're going to binge. Uh, you're going to tank in two, three, four thousand calories to, again, quote-unquote, recover. Um, and then perhaps Monday rolls back around or the next day rolls back around. You feel, you know, pretty demotivated. You lost loads of momentum. Um, and now you feel like shit and it's back to square one. So what happens? You cut calories, but this time you feel like you need to catch up. Uh, because you had that binge last night or over the weekend and you have to catch up by further decreasing calories 
and this is then going to lead to even worse fueling, even worse training, even more depletion, even heightened food focus. And it's this vicious kind of cycle that just goes on and on and on. It's absolutely ridiculous when you kind of think about it that way and you kind of put pen to paper and read it out loud. Um, but that's exactly what is happening. So what happens if we perhaps didn't run as much of an energy deficit? So you eat more. Um, so, you know, these compromises and trade-offs we talk about in our KPIs, you don't experience them that much. Um, I'm losing body mass by body fat, but, at, you know, like 0.5 to 1% loss in body weight per week, uh, you know, which is obviously recommended with that level of energy deficit. We can still eat enough to support uh, performance, but still drop body fat slowly. So that is going to be a far better way far more methodical way of doing it with a better quality of life in there as well than cutting too aggressively going too hard and then at the end of the day just binging or end of the week tanking loads of calories and having a huge binge over 48 hours to again recover and then when you get back on the scales the next day or the monday or whatever or do your progress photos or your waist measurements and stuff like that you are exactly the same just by going at it too aggressively and then you're just shooting yourself in the foot when it's much better just uh, go a little bit slower, a little bit more methodically, eat enough to fuel performance, and then um, you know you can get the best. Sorry, get the best of both. Then, uh, 100%. And you know, like I've seen some like big rugby players, some big dudes, or cyclists with huge energy expenditures, eating like 2,000 calories a day. It's like guys, you could probably put in three and a half, four thousand, four and a half thousand calories a day, and you're still being an energy deficit. Um, you know, not everybody needs to be eating two thousand calories a day. Is very much looking at your overall demands of the day with regards to your energy expenditure, and then perhaps I like to start off about fifteen percent energy deficit, and then work from there. So whatever you end up burning, just take away fifteen percent, and that's how much you need to be eating, and therefore you got that fifteen percent energy deficit to lose. Uh, body fat about 0.5 to 1% per week. And then uh, last point, last issue, number five is not sticking to the plan. So this is very much a case of training programs. You see a lot of individuals, they'll program hop, get distracted by the next uh, shiny programming, offering all these incredible results. You know, they hop over the place, there's no consistency there, and essentially they don't stick to anything and don't get results same kind of thing from a nutrition perspective as well. Um, you want to do all this cool, all this fancy kind of stuff, uh, but there's no consistency with the nutrition programming at all. You're either you're cutting, you're bulking, you are fasting, you're going high carb, you're doing low carb, you, you know, you're doing ketogenic dieting, you're doing literally everything. You're not sticking to the plan, the basic kind of principles there for sure. And therefore there's no consistency. Like I mentioned, from like a coaching perspective, um, if you have inconsistency in your nutrition, is the first recommendation I'm going to give you is to get consistency. Let's work on getting consistent, and then we can actually see what's going on. So what's working, what's not. If you're tracking here, there, and everywhere based on whether you feel like it or not, um, you know it's not going to paint the entire picture. But if you have full transparency and honesty with your tracking, you're really consistent. It's so easy for a coach like myself to go in and see exactly what's going on, you know, what you're doing well, what's not going so well with you, uh, what we can improve and all that kind of stuff. So 
number point point number five sorry is really just stick to the plan whatever plan you've got just have faith in the process trust the process and stick to it obviously if the plan is, is a good one um you know is very much agreed upon between the coach and the athlete so you know it isn't just a case of like the coach dictating have this eat this it is very much a case of getting their feedback getting a really good understanding of their life uh what their life looks like through their eyes essentially and take into account all these kind of considerations and if all these considerations considerations are taken uh, into account uh, and they're happy with the meal plan the nutrition program the training program whatever then do it just, just stick to the plan stick to the program because it will work 100 percent um if it doesn't work then okay, then you need to evaluate and uh, critically assess what's going on. Uh, but you're only going to know that through consistency. So it's going to be really important there. Don't do anything more. Don't do anything less. Say, for example, again, with the fat loss um, diets, like you may have a plan that puts you in a 15% calorie deficit, losing 1% loss per week. Absolutely awesome. But you might get impatient. And then it's like, right, I'm going to further cut calories and try and really kind of push this process a, a lot harder but then it's like right that's going to compromise your performance so again stick to the plan nothing more nothing less if a coach a good coach has written this program for you they're going to take into account all these considerations so all you have to do is have adherence and then have really sort of honest feedback with them as well based on what's working and what's not working because you will not be able to do that from a place of inconsistency so I really like this uh, story that I'll perhaps finish with today. And it's from a uh, book for, called Great by Choice. And they basically talk about this 20-mile march. So it's basically these two groups of individuals um, going to, well, basically having an expedition to the South Pole. Um, and basically they had pretty much the same starting points, but they had two very different strategies. Um, group one who did this 20-mile march so whatever the situation was, whatever the environment was, whatever the climate was, they did 20 miles every day regardless. Nothing more, nothing less. They're very disciplined to that. Um, and then ultimately, they can make consistent progress on a daily basis. The second group then didn't do this. They pretty much pushed really hard when the weather conditions were nice. And then when the weather was bad or the climate was uh, adverse or the terrain was bad, they would then just pull right back and rest. And then when it's sunny again and the terrain was good, they pushed really hard. But what they're doing then, they had so much inconsistency in their plan. Uh, and ultimately, they didn't make anywhere near as good progress as the other team because what was happening, they were pushing really hard on certain days. They accrue in like a lot of fatigue. They get really tired, picking up illness, colds, minor injuries and stuff like that. And therefore, they had to pull back for a few days. Then they can push hard. But if they compare themselves to the other team where they did the 20-mile march, where they were consistent, they were methodical, they did 20 days, they preserved the energies, they didn't do any more. They were disciplined to that. Likewise, they didn't do any less. So I'm pretty sure, if I can remember from uh, memory, that by the time the second team reached the South Pole, the first team are pretty much halfway back home. Um, so consistency every single day, discipline within that is really important. And you can only get that through following the plan. And again, don't do anything more, 
don't do anything less than I tell this to my athletes on my athlete coaching program so much. If I'm suggesting you have X, Y, Z, have X, Y, Z. Um, don't try and do um, extra. Don't try and push harder with the energy deficit. Don't feel like you can save calories here. Talk to me. Have an open conversation about it all. And then we'll put a plan together. And once that plan is locked in place, follow it because it will work. Um, so that's the kind of ending I want to leave you with today. Uh, do your 20 mile march every single day with your nutrition, your training, your sleep, your lifestyle habits, all this kind of stuff. Um, don't try and push it. Don't force the process. It takes time. Again, athletic development is not, um, no, it doesn't happen overnight. It is a long-term thing. You're not looking at weeks to months, you're looking at months, two years, a whole athletic career. I don't think you ever stop progressing from this sense. And you can only do this with longevity in the planning and doing the 20 mile march every single day. So guys, that is the high performance troubleshoot. The perhaps the five top issues I see athletes struggle with on a daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly basis. Um, so I hope uh, that was helpful. I imagine some of that would have resonated with you from the amount of times I see this uh, within athletes I work with. Um, so if you have any questions, queries, or anything you need my help with to ensure we are taking your performance to the next level, excelling in your sport and reaching your true and highest potential, please let me know. Um, or is it to answer questions or if you want to inquire about my athlete coaching program, work with me, just drop me a DM on Instagram with the word perform and uh, we can have a discussion, a conversation um, to get you winning and moving in the right direction. Um, and always, guys, I really appreciate and value your time listening and tuning into the podcast. Um, so don't forget to share, like and comment if you found this useful and valuable. Really appreciate it, guys. And uh, until next time, goodbye.